You're listening to Earth Matters, produced in the studios of 3CR in Melbourne on the Kulin Nation and broadcast on the Community Radio Network. We're bringing you environmental and social justice stories. I'm Corey Green. There are an estimated 160,000 toxic sites in Australia. On today's show we ask, how well are these sites being monitored and remediated? And I see um, pollutants uh, in toxic sites of uh, no less significant than climate change. To find out more, we're going to look at the example of a toxic site in the Melbourne suburb of Faulkner. There's a proposal to redevelop it, but residents argue that the site and surrounds have never been properly cleaned and secured. First off, let's look at the scale of the problem. Hello and welcome to the show. Can you please introduce yourself? Yes, so this is um, Ravi Naidu, uh, Chief Executive Officer of CRC Care. Great. And can you tell us a little bit about CRC Care, which stands for the Cooperative Research Centre for Contamination Assessment and Remediation of the Environment? Um, yes, CRC Care uh, is the Australian Centre of Excellence um, that was established in 2005 uh, at the request of uh, major industry sectors, uh, the, the Department of Defence, uh, EPAs, and um, they all provided uh, funds uh, and um, and uh, given uh, the um, the need for such a centre of excellence, Cornwall of Australia also provided funds, and it is an independent um, research centre of excellence that uh, develops uh, solutions uh, for contaminated site for assessment and remediation. In addition to helping EPA's write guidance and policy documents. Great. And how many toxic sites does your company um, estimate are in Australia? Um, there are two numbers uh, that have been floating around. Uh, one uh, that was written by an ANZAC fellow, and that uh, this person, having interviewed quite a number of people, estimated 80,000 potentially contaminated sites. A more recent estimate is 160,000 uh, potentially contaminated sites, published number, and uh, we believe, um, the CRCK believes that we do have 160,000 or if not more uh, potentially contaminated sites in Australia. Wow, that's a very serious number. Uh, It is a very serious number given that many such sites are concentrated in uh, in, in where uh, most people live and indeed not forgetting um, we do have quite a few in the uh, rural, rural environment as well. And how much does it cost every year to clean these up? Um, I'll give you two estimates. The first estimate uh, was made in 1999 in a document um, published by National Environment Protection Corporation. Uh, in 1999, we, we were spending somewhere around $300 million per annum, and today we spend $3 billion per annum um, to assess and to some extent uh, remediate or clean up uh, contaminated sites in Australia. Mm, and not all these sites are being cleaned up, are they? Um, no, in the last 75 years, we have uh, cleaned up just about 5% of these contaminated sites, which basically tells us that it is uh, quite a complex problem that uh, that we are, uh, we are faced with. So would you say that we're making toxic sites faster than we're cleaning them up? 
Um, I would say that um, that uh, the number of contaminated sites that we are dealing with now are largely legacy sites, and uh, and uh, after the introduction of uh, uh, the National Environment Protection Measure, um, we haven't really uh, been increasing number of potentially contaminated sites. Of course, sometimes you have accidental spillages, for instance, um, so you can't help that. But most of the sites are legacy sites. In the Melbourne suburb of Faulkner, we have an example of one such toxic site. Hi, and welcome to the show. Can you please introduce yourself? Uh, my name is Brian Snowden. Um, I'm a resident at McBride Street, Faulkner, northern suburbs of Melbourne. And uh, today we're talking about the proposed redevelopment of um, the McBride Street toxic site. Um, can you please give us some history of this site? Uh, this site was uh, owned and operated by a company called New Farm between the years of about 1957 or 1958 or so until 1981. Uh, Mon- uh, New Farm is a, and still is a subsidiary of Monsanto. Um, it's, New Farm is a chemical company. It still operates in the northern suburbs, northwestern suburbs these days. And the types of chemicals that were manufactured on the site during the years that it occupied it um, include the following dioxins, that's the broad heading, DDT, toluline based emulsifiable concentrate, phenozactic and herbicide 24D, 245T, esters, dichloralphenol, trichloralphenol, arsenic-based sheep dip and benzene offshoots were found all over the site uh, once when the the company left and it was time for the clean-up, which they had to be dragged to kicking and screaming. Um, All of these substances are highly toxic, toxic, highly carcinogenic, and the heavy traces of them were found uh, saturated on the new new farm site after the company evacuated the property. So while they were manufacturing these um, toxic substances, uh, were they taking uh, precautions to make sure that they didn't get into the ground and the water and that the workers were safe? None. None whatsoever. Um, They... They did none of that. The, when the what was then the Broad Meadows Council, which Faulkner was uh, under, ordered the clean-up, they found extensive um, pollution in the earth. They had an open drain which ran into the Merry Creek. They also emptied their some of their residues into the sewer. Uh, they had an open pit, which was a sort of um, a holding pit for all of the e- excess chemicals that were to be evacuated from the property. The property, the ground, even though in parts it had it had um, a concrete floor, well, that was only in part of it. Mostly, it was just earth, and the whole of the shed works the the um, warehousing part of it was completely covered in residue and had to be completely detoxified and taken apart before it was it could be um, recycled 
the earth was taken away and dumped in the western suburbs of Melbourne. Hopefully that was, it's said that that was disposed of properly and um, buried. Um, anyway, the, the real story behind, or, you know, one of the other stories behind this is that the dioxin products are commonly known as Agent Orange, Agent Red, Agent Blue, Agent Yellow, etc. And Agent, Agent Orange was sold by Monsanto, who had obviously had a contract, to the American Army who defoliated Vietnam with it. So mm. this, is how se- this is how serious this, this, this site is. Greenpeace lists this site as one of the most 10 toxic sites on the planet. Wow, and it's in Faulkner. It's in Faulkner. It's, there are other sites around Melbourne that have gone under the radar like this one has um, that are just completely ignored or, or people have just lost any knowledge that they exist. One of them is, is currently being dealt with by the Altona Council. Uh, it's an ex-Dow Chemicals factory which is being cleaned up as we speak and that's an extensive, extensive clean-up costing a lot, a lot of money, and Dow Chemicals are the same. They had to be dragged kicking and screaming back to the mess that they left. So can you talk about the um, role that the residents took in um, ensuring that there was a clean-up? Way back, my mother was instrumental in getting the place not only cleaned up, but shut down originally. Um, New Farm used to let off toxic plumes into the air, and uh, those plumes just covered the whole of the residential area, which abuts the, the site. My mother was part of the Broadmeadows Progress Association, and there were a whole group of people, but my mother was uh, in the forefront of that because she, we, the house that she occupied is 50 metres from the gate of the, the site. And also, um, uh, so she had a... She had a cleaned up because there were there were just masses of problems with these toxic plumes they would let off, stripping paint off houses. There was a cancer cluster that occurred in Faulkner in this period, and um, that can be that can be seen. There was a Herald Sun report of June 1990 that um, that reported that 20 cancer deaths were recorded in 18 nearby houses as a result of, you know, the contamination to the population just through pl- toxic plumes, etc., etc. So what is the process for cleaning up a toxic site? Hi, and welcome to the show. Can you please introduce yourself? Hi, my name's Mara Bonacci. I used to be an environmental scientist doing contamination assessments on various sites around Victoria and sometimes South Australia. Great. And when are sites tested for contamination? Generally, they um, happen just because there's a statutory requirement for it. Um, And so if there's a change of land use, for example, if a formerly industrial site is now going to be turned into apartments, they need to check any contamination that might be there from the um, former industrial activity at the site. And they'll get tested um, if there's like a a large-scale development going on. They need to check the contamination levels in the soil and potentially the water. And sites also get contaminated if they're a source of contamination, like a landfill needs to get monitored, and it's all regulated by the EPAs in the various states. Great. 
And are residential sites ever um, tested? Only when there's a change of land use. Um, so if it's, like I just said, if it's changing from an um, industrial site to a new residential development, generally they don't need to be tested and some people might unlikely do it on a voluntary basis but that generally wouldn't happen because it's very expensive to have the testing done Um, but if there's something that um, is raising alarm that someone think there might be a form of source of contamination there will be a test undertaken then but that's it you know the site owners or the um, tenants request. Great and what's the process for um, testing for contamination? Um, the initial process is to do a preliminary site assessment, which is a desk-based study looking at previous uses of that site. Um, and so you go back way back to as soon as colonisation happened or settlement on that site to see what former land uses were and any potential sources of contamination. And then you've got an idea of what you might like to test for because you can't test for every contaminant because it's just not um, economically viable. Um And so once you've done a preliminary assessment, then um, you go out into the field and we'll do um, soil sampling at various depths and maybe on a grid system across the site. And that depends on the budget and the potential risk of contamination that was determined by the preliminary site assessment. And then, um, so then the soil samples get sent off to a lab and tested. The results get sent back and then analysed. And if there is any contamination, it needs to be dealt with. And how do you deal with it? There are a couple of ways to deal with it. Sometimes they just go in with earth moving equipment, pick it up and take it to a landfill that is registered to take contaminated soils. And so it just gets picked up and moved somewhere else and housed there. Other times they might do um, a remediation of the site in situ and sometimes that might involve... um, throwing in like little microbes that go in and sort of eat up the the hydrocarbons or whatever the contaminant might be and they kind of turn it around and turn it into something else through their biotic processes. Great. And are sites ever so contaminated that they can't be cleaned up? Um, the... The limitation is more cost than ability. Like everything, I think, can really... I mean, radiation, sites are contaminated with radiation. The four cleanups later, Maralinga is still not clean. And so it depends on what the contaminant is, whether it can be cleaned up. If it's a heavy metal, it can get picked up and moved away. And that's just a case of like digging it up till it's all gone and moving it somewhere else. Or if it's hydrocarbons, little microbes can eat it up and turn it into... Um, pretty harmless soil and they just kind of compost it there. Um, So it really depends on what the contaminated um, substance is, whether it can be cleaned up or not and how much of it there is. Uh, The the McBride Street site that we're looking at today was um, contaminated with dioxins. So um, would you know how to clean up dioxins? I don't know specifically how to clean up dioxins because they're a soluble sub they're a soluble substance, mm-hmm. and so you can take out the dioxins from the soil. Like you can pick up the soil and move it and contain it. But mm-hmm. if that dioxin has dissolved and it goes into the waterways, it just kind of gets diluted and dispersed as opposed to um, as opposed to cleaned up. So it's really like in landfills they've got a clay liner, and theoretically things don't leak out of that clay liner. But if you if the substance leaks or dissolves and goes out into the groundwater system, it can spread in its case of dilution and that might end up being below um, acceptable levels and so it might be theoretically okay but, I mean, cumulatively it's hard to control that just from one... Like if you've got it happening in a a number of sites, the cumulative impacts can be quite intense. Hmm. 
Um, how does the EPA keep a track of toxic sites? Uh, they've got a register of priority sites and um, a lot of, yeah, and so if there is a site that's known to be contaminated, it goes onto that register and needs to be monitored and they've got EPA requirements that involve reporting on a regular basis. And how well do you think this system works? Um, I am a bit cynical about it. I think it's a lot about jumping through statutory hoops rather than environmental protection and things will have to be contaminated and um, and fulfil a statutory requirement for a contaminated test, a contamination test for it um, to be done at all. So some t- sites might be contaminated, no one knows about it because no, um, there might not be a reason for the assessment to be done in a, in a illegal sense and there's contaminated sites all over Australia um, whether it's like radioactive or heavy metals or or whatever and um, I, I do think a lot of it's quite statutory rather than about environmental pre- protection and it all is quite reactive rather than I mean, there are stricter controls these days on um, minimising the risk of contamination, but I still think we've got a long way to go, and I kind of term it a bit brown-green rather than green-green because it's the statutory thing and rather than really looking after the environment as I think we should. Sue Bolton, Socialist Alliance councillor from Moorland, has gotten involved in a campaign around the proposed redevelopment of a toxic site in Faulkner. She brings into question the governance of the site through its history and today. Um, hello and welcome to the show. Can you please introduce yourself? So my name's Sue Bolton. I'm um, a local Moreland councillor and I'm also a member of Socialist Alliance and I've uh, got involved with a group of local residents and activists in Faulkner to campaign around, against development on a toxic site in Faulkner. Uh, Brian uh, says um, that the all of the workers on the site contracted cancer. I think the residents, there would have been some residents who would have probably worked in the factory um, and they did have links with the workers as well as um, other people living around the area who contracted cancer. So there was quite a strong cancer cluster in the area. Now, I'm not sure when they found that, but that was um, work which was done by the residents themselves, the um, Faulkner Broadmeadows Progress Association, where they did a door knock of the area and discovered the incredibly large number of cancers in the area. Um, there it, it are some um, questionable issues. So according to the EPA, once the site was cleaned up in 1995, the... Um, the factory closed up and shifted to Laverton, where it um, brought its um, destruction on uh, residents in Laverton in the western suburbs. But according to a Greenpeace report in 1990, um, the Broadmeadows Council was writing to the EPA as late as 1974, saying that this factory seemed to be operating without a licence and taking supreme court action against the company for operating without a licence. So it appears that the factory didn't really close up and shift production entirely or close down production entirely in Faulkner until 1974 when the site was being sold. So it seems like this company has been shifty right through the whole period, uh, very shifty. 
never penalised at all by any governmental authority. Um, and so once the residents had a victory in getting the factory closed down, then they had another 18-year battle to get the site cleaned up. And the EPA and governmental authorities were really never kind to residents in this whole process. And I imagine at the time when the factory was operating, there was probably not much in the way of environmental law in Australia. All of the environmental laws we um, have achieved has been a result of incredible campaigning by environmental activists and residents like this group of residents. Um, so I think as late as 1990, uh, the EPA was still saying the site was safe. Um, and I think that's when the residents did their door knock, um, which discovered the cancer cluster. And so the EPA was forced to do another audit of the site, which found incredibly high levels of dioxins and other chemicals. Um, and the um, level of those dioxins, according to the Greenpeace report, put this amongst the 10 most or one, the most contaminated sites in the world. And thank goodness Greenpeace did their own, some of their own investigations and pulling together the data because that is really helpful for residents um, because really there's not much historical memory in the governmental bureaucracies about this site. Um, so, you know, Greenpeace did um, some work as well, which also um, forced the EPA to act and issue New Farm to clean, uh, clean up notices to clean up the site. So they did clean up the site. They removed some contaminated soil and dumped it somewhere. Um, I'm not sure where, um, you know, which probably will cause problems for whoever lives near where that was dumped. Um, then they put a clay cap over the site um, and then uh, the EPA did an audit of the site where they said it was suitable for light industrial uses. Now, there was never any audit on the surrounding sites and contaminated um, soil and so forth was put on surrounding sites. Um, now, there has been... So the EPA says it's safe to, for light industrial uses. Um, there has been illegal uh, building activity on the site as uh, recently as 2013. When that happened, where a shed was erected on the site, the, um, the excavator driver pierced the clay cap when he was digging the foundations for the shed. Um, local residents went across to talk to the excavator driver to tell him what he was dealing with. Um, and this driver was forced to go home sick because of dizziness and headaches when the fumes came out of the ground. So we know it is still a toxic site. How toxic? We don't know. Residents fear that the clay cap isn't as, um, isn't as solid as it was when it was installed um, and residents don't believe any development should happen on site without some level of independent EPA audit on the site. You're listening to Earth Matters, bringing you environmental and social justice stories. On today's show, we're talking about toxic sites. 
Socialist Alliance Councillor for Moorland, Sue Bolton, gives some insight into the challenges faced regulating these sites. So, um, what's the development proposal and where's that proposal at? So, the development proposal is to build two warehouses on the side with semi-trailers rolling in and out. Um, now, residents' fear and my fear is that to build two warehouses, you have to put down concrete footings. Otherwise, the warehouse could just blow away in a strong storm or mini tornado or something, which can happen to uh, various times. So that will have to pierce the clay cap, which will release toxins from the soil. And that's why residents are fearful for themselves and for any workers doing construction activity and for any workers that might be working there in the warehouse um, if this proposal goes ahead. So at the moment, the application has simply been lodged with Moreland Council. Um, I have made sure that it will get voted on uh, by the Urban Planning Committee rather than just be ticked off by a council officer. Um, but... You know, uh, initially we're calling for an independent EPA audit and we're thinking about what else we should be calling for in terms of in terms of um, demands on this site. Um, residents believe it shouldn't be touched. Again, now I'm no scientist, but I tend to support that view. That, um, you know, Agent Orange, dioxins, I, I believe dioxins are the most... Um, deadly chemicals known to human beings and therefore this site I feel should simply be sealed and not touched again Um, and um, yeah but this uh, application will have to come to the council's urban planning committee for a vote Um, certainly residents are keen to um, fight this Um, they've got other concerns as well about the development proposal but they're key concern is about the safety of the site Um, and hopefully we can um, use a campaign around this site to also campaign for more stringent um, guidelines and registration of toxic sites in this state and there is very poor monitoring of toxic sites in Victoria and around Australia. And there have been other cases, another case I'm aware of, just because I happen to know um, the scientists involved, um, where a whole housing development in a very poor part of Brisbane was built on top of a toxic waste dump, um, which unbeknownst to the residents. And then a number of years later, um, residents suddenly started to get all these health problems that they couldn't work out the cause of. Their doctors couldn't work out the cause of their health problems. And um, a friend of mine, a scientist for the um, Workers' Health Centre in Brisbane, eventually uncovered that the cause of their problems was the toxic waste that their houses were sitting on top of, unbeknownst to them. Um, there are many toxic sites that are not listed on any kind of register and I'm not sure that the Faulkner site, this Faulkner site is listed on a regi- register 
Harry Van Morse from Western Region Environment Centre says that none of the sites that they've campaigned against have been listed on any toxic register, even though they're incredibly toxic. Um, so there is a real issue both with this site and with toxic, uh, the regulation of toxic sites in general. Sue talks about her experience trying to get a motion for an EPA audit through the council. And even so, we're also still um, trying to seek information uh, because my initial attempt to move a motion, um, a very simple, straightforward kind of motion, very non, non-radical motion at the most recent council meeting, indicated to me that... Um, there's a level of just um, acceptance um, that a site like this should be, you know, should be or could be developed on. Um, I moved a motion at the last Mormon Council meeting calling for an independent EPA audit of the site, including testing of the clay cap um, and testing and an audit of the surrounding sites. Now, that doesn't mean the EPA will necessarily do that because council can't necessarily force EPA to do that. Um, um, but So it's a, a call from council for the EPA to do that. Um, I believe there shouldn't be any development on the site unless such an EPA audit is, um, is um, done. Um, now, I... You know, with my motion, you include a bit of background to explain why you're moving that motion. But, you know, you just, when you vote, you're just voting on the motion itself, which was for an EPA audit and a, um, of the site and a calling on the state government to have a better system of managing toxic sites. Um, I had naively assumed this would be uncontroversial and probably unanimous, um, the vote in favour of the motion. Uh, instead, um, there was one particular councillor uh, from a DLP background who was extremely agitated, accusing me of being sensationalist and terrifying mums and dads and kids, etc. Um, then another uh, councillor who has close links with the Liberal Party asked the uh, head of planning during the council debate um, if uh, the developer had included an environmental report as part of the application, um, she confirmed he had. Um, uh, and so he said, that's good enough for me. We don't need an independent EPA report. And um, not a single councillor other than myself voiced any concerns about the site. And so the council and the Moreland Council includes as well as me from Social Science, includes four Greens councillors, three ALP councillors, a you know, conservative independent, one from a DLP background and one from a Liberal Party background. Um, so not a single other councillor voiced any concerns about this site. Um, now, the, my motion got carried, um, so, you know, it was um, carried, but I was quite shocked that there were any votes against such a mild motion. Um, there were three votes against and one abstention. And I find that quite horrifying. Um, 
especially as um, talking to a number of environmentalists since, um, there's, you know, people feel that even the EPA isn't independent enough of um, the big corporations um, and uh, there probably should be some stronger demand from the campaign than just an EPA report. And I totally understand that because when the residents were engaged in their long campaign to have the site the factory closed down and the site cleaned up. The EPA constantly told the residents there was no problem um, and treated them as if they were just a bunch of whinges. McBride Street resident Brian Snowden gives his demands for the future of the site. So um, what would you like to see happen to McBride Street? I want a complete and thorough audit. And if the place is toxic, then a complete and thorough clean-up of the property and including the, the surrounds, if necessary, uh, before anything's done. I understand that there's a public meeting coming up. Can you tell us about that? Yes, yeah, so there's going to be a public meeting on Thursday, the 11th of May, at the Faulkner Senior Citizens Centre, which is um, in Dukes Road, Faulkner, near the le- beside the Leisure Centre. Um, now, there are going to be several speakers, uh, speakers at that public meeting, which starts at 7pm. People could contact me on my councillor contact details, which are all on the Moreland Council website. So just look up Sue Bolton on the website. Um, there is a Toxic Free Faulkner Facebook page, which has been set up. Um, you can also contact me on my private Mobile number 0413-377-978. We'll finish with Dr Ravi Naidu from the Cooperative Research Centre for Contamination Assessment and Remediation of the Environment, talking about the issue from a national perspective. And um, what political or legislative steps would you like to see taken to ensure the safety of toxic sites? Um, a very good a good question, uh, Corey. Um what people haven't realized is that, um, and this is WHO report, uh, that annually uh, 12.6 million people die from exposure to contaminants, as opposed to about 2.2 million people who die from cancer, and some of the, uh, that could be due to um, exposure to pollutants. Uh, diabetes is only about 1.1 million people, and AIDS is about 1.04 million people. So um, when you look at, at the deaths resulting from pollutants, it's uh, uh, far more, uh, into four times uh, what you see from these um, three um, different uh, types of illnesses. Um, and, uh, and I see um, pollutants uh, in toxic sites of uh, no less significant than climate change. Uh, if at all, I rank uh, pollutants above um, the impact that we see from climate change. And therefore, what I would like to see is uh, that uh, our politicians um, do recognize this as a major problem and that there are many people who, are, who have died from exposure to pollutants and every step should be taken to see how we could um, come up with strategies that... Um, enhance uh, clean-up of such toxic sites. And are there any strategies that you have in mind? Um, the fortunate uh, thing is that CRCK uh, was funded, and since we were funded, we have helped uh, work with EPAs 
to make certain that the policies underpinned by science, we worked with major industries to help them come up uh, with cutting-edge solutions that are cost-effective. And what we would like to see is that the Commonwealth of Australia recognises the need for uh, a centre of excellence um, that uh, is not there for today, but it's there for a very long period because um, because there are many, many sites, and uh, each of these sites are very complex, and uh, they do have complex mixture, mixture of contaminants. And so I would like to see the, um, both the states and the Commonwealth of Australia invest a bit more into contaminated sites assessment and remediation, and they do support uh, the uh, centre of excellence that they have right now. Great. And is there anything else you'd like to say? Um, the, the one thing that I would like to, to, to say is, is, is that um, um, the, the, the contaminated sites that we have, they are largely uh, focused uh, in the urban environment where a lot of, a lot of people are living. Uh, but, of course, as I said, the, the, the outback as well. Uh, what is important is um, that the uh, regulators have strategies that, uh, that make uh, owners of contaminated sites to go for in-situ on-site remediation rather than uh, excavate and take contaminated materials to land, landfills because landfills, to me, are leaving things for future generations, which is what, not something that you, we should do. Hmm. Well, thanks very much for appearing on the show. Happy to talk to you, Corey, anytime. That was Dr. Ravi Naidu from the Cooperative Research Centre for Contamination Assessment and Remediation of the Environment. We also spoke to Brian Snowden, a resident of McBride Street, and Socialist Alliance councillor from Moorland, Sue Bolton. If you missed some of today's show, don't forget that our podcast can be downloaded at 3cr.org.au slash earthmatters. Earth Matters would like to thank the Community Broadcasting Foundation for their generous financial support and the dedicated people at the Community Radio Network for all their hard work in getting this program out to you. Earth Matters was produced in the studios at 3CR Radio in Fitzroy, Victoria on the Kulin Nation. Our contact phone is 03 9419 8377 and our email is earthmatters3cr at gmail.com. That's all for today, but we'll be back again next week. Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia, on the Kulin Nation. For more information and to find out how you can support 3CR, go to www.3cr.org.au. Thank you.